Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Mexico's economy is shifting into a higher gear in 2023, thanks to stronger-than-expected investment from nearshore. Will politics get in the way of this trend, or have some investors made their peace with the current status quo? I think that investors were worried about the AMLO administration because he came in with a very nationalistic message in a lot of ways, and they were unsure how big of a fight that would be. Now that they've seen his government, I don't think that anyone thinks that the candidates who would come in next year would be more radical or pick a bigger fight with investors over issues like energy or investment. This July, we saw a historic moment as Mexico passed China to become the biggest exporter of goods and services to the United States, reclaiming that title for the first time in 20 years. The reason is clear. Global supply chains are being reorganized in the wake of the pandemic and U.S. tensions with China, and a lot of factory production is moving to Mexico. Now, we've talked about this phenomenon of nearshoring a lot in the pages of America's Quarterly and here on the podcast as well. But I, I have to say, it seems to be going better than some people expected. Foreign direct investment in Mexico is up 40% this year. Mexico has the world's strongest currency so far in 2023 and one of its best performing stock markets. This is having an effect on the economy at large. Economists have been raising their Mexico forecast for this year and now expect Mexico's GDP to grow about 3% this year. The question before us now is, is this really Mexico's moment? Is the country taking full advantage of the nearshoring trend or could it be doing better? What is the relevance of politics to this story? The role of Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's government, which has often had an uneasy relationship with business, and elections that will select his successor in 2024. Our guests today to walk us through all this are two reporters who recently reported from Mexico's industrial hub of Monterrey in the north of Mexico. They wrote an article entitled Mexico's Moment. Maya Averbach is an economy and government reporter in Mexico at Bloomberg News, based in Mexico City, and Leda Alvin markets reporter at Bloomberg News, is based in Sao Paulo. Leila and Maya, welcome to the podcast. As you mentioned in your piece, there are lots of good data pointing in the right direction. Set the scene for us. Let's start with you, Maya. What do investors see in Mexico right now? I think they see a country that is next to the U.S., which allows them to export to U.S. consumers that's been relatively stable compared to other Latin American countries that have had their ups and downs in the world of politics. And they see a country that has, I think, a lot of experience creating all kinds of goods, whether it's electronics or cars or car parts, to export. And so in some ways, it's a place where the sort of scene is set for them to come in and put additional money into growing their business. 
all those advantages you listed, though, those things have been true about Mexico for a long time. What is it that you think that has made this Mexico's moment, as you put it in your piece? The pandemic obviously upset world trade in a way that made a lot of businesses want to look for plan B, C, and D. So Mexico is part of their strategy in a world in which they would like to have multiple supply lines. I think the other thing is, you know, it's the end of the administration of Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And so in some ways, investors who were worried about what his administration would look like have had five years to sort of understand what it's all about. And now there are a few surprises expected for his last year in government. And I think also the the uh, longer term dispute between the U.S. and China has been that a lot of companies that took production abroad in years past have decided that it's a little bit too risky and the costs are too high to continue doing a lot of that production in China. And so they have started slowly to leave the Chinese market and go elsewhere. Lena, let me come to you. Both of you traveled to Monterey for this piece, which as a former reporter myself makes me jealous, you know, the opportunity to kind of be in a what sounds like something of a boom town right now. What does it feel like right now to be there? What, what did you see? Well, as you put it, Brian, it's it's a boom town. You drive around and you see huge industrial parks, big trucks, especially on the way to the closest border with the U.S. and it's jam-packed with traffic and a bunch of containers and just huge truckloads just on the way carrying those big products from those manufacturing hubs. You could see the change happening and the more to come in, in future as the city and the state and even the country prepares to really meet that demand that's coming in waves. Maya, how about for you? What struck you the most while you were reporting this story on the ground? I mean, I think that is interesting to see the diversity of companies that are moving in from all kinds of different countries. And I think that we also see a lot of hype and interest around the big name companies like Tesla. There are announcements around the city about Tesla coming there. It's certainly been a selling point for the governor of the state. And that has brought other smaller companies with it. A lot of these big investments imply having a long chain of suppliers, some of which are already there and some of which are going to move from abroad. The kinds of suppliers that will make components of autos or new computerized parts that are now in demand. And so we've seen Tesla bring other companies with it. And so I think it's interesting to see all of those companies side by side, right? An industrial park is this massive thing where you can have a company that makes breaks alongside a company that makes something completely different. And there's a kind of race between shelter companies, which are the middlemen that try to make it easy for these companies to move in in just a few months to make it as easy as possible for them to get their paperwork done, even if they're from another country and are not so familiar with the rules of Mexico. We've talked about this nearshoring topic a good bit on the show over the last two years or so. We did a special issue of America's Quarterly dedicated to the promise of nearshoring in 2022. At the same time, you know, I, I'm 
trying to get my head around right now this idea of how much, to what degree, Mexico is taking advantage of this opportunity. Because I've heard analysts say that, yes, there's some nearshoring happening, but it's really still at this stage just a small percentage of what it could be because of political issues, infrastructure issues, and so on. What's your sense of kind of the effectiveness with which Mexico is taking advantage of this opportunity right now? So I think the assumption that all of the investment that has been leaving China in the last few years would go to Mexico is a false one because really a business doesn't want to have all its eggs in one basket. So I think that we have to see which other companies decide to come here in the next year or two or three. And it's not that people are saying this is the greatest success story ever seen. Rather, they're saying this is the beginning of a sort of broader shift towards Mexico that's interesting, that's notable now, but we don't yet know how big it'll be. Leda, what was your sense with the people that you interviewed to what's happened so far versus what's actually possible over these next couple of years? I think many people do see the opportunity and we see them putting the efforts into making sure that their operation is ready. We did interview someone who used to operate a Tesla supplier to build some of its the brains of its EV vehicles, and they were able to build their operations and set up the plants in less than five months just to make sure that they were ready to supply whatever that was needed coming from Tesla itself. People are getting ready as much as they can, but sometimes there's a hurdle that they can only do so much. And then the rest does come from external factors like government funding and infrastructure, if it's lacking or if it's having challenges on that, if it comes with electricity or if it comes with water. There's parts of it that the person itself that is investing the money in it, it's not able to fully fulfill that because it's out of their hands. And you, you say in your piece, there have been a number of infrastructure challenges on the ground factories that are hit by blackouts, for example. What kind of commitments from the Mexican government do the business leaders you spoke to say they would most like to see? I think we talked to at least one company that said, look, we invested here despite the fact that we have really serious blackouts that make us lose production. That kind of concern, I think, becomes a cost factored in for other companies that are coming in and going to consultants and saying, you know, is there enough electricity for me here? Am I going to run into these kind of losses that in the end are going to make it safer for me to invest elsewhere? So I think that was a big one. Others, as I said, seem like they're just waiting because these are long-term investments. They want to have more guarantees. They want more clarity on what's the political situation in the U.S. and in Mexico. They want more clarity on what will happen, say, to the EV industry and supply to it. When we come back, Maya and Leila will tell us about AMLO's relationship with the business community and how elections, both in Mexico and in the United States, are factoring into investment decisions in Monterrey. The America's Quarterly Podcast is sponsored in part by Florida International University's Jack D. Gordon Institute. Since 1985, the Institute has been at the forefront of innovation in cybersecurity, national security, and public policy. You can dive into their vast library of Latin American security-focused research, 
explore their academic and professional programs, or tap into their open source data initiatives. Learn more at go.fiu.edu impact. I want to come back to an interesting comment that Maya made earlier in the episode with regard to politics and the fact that at this stage, Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, known as AMLO, has been in power for five years now, and they don't expect many surprises at this point. They kind of know what they're getting. At the same time, though, you know, there have been disappointments on the behalf of the business community with AMLO over the last few years, concrete issues such as, well, a whole litany of things. But where does that relationship stand now in your mind with regard to this nearshoring initiatives happening in the North? I mean, is it something that the government at the end of the day just doesn't have that much of a role in? Are they seen as a constructive player? What did you hear while you were there from people? AMLO has picked his fights with certain companies. And there are other spheres in which he's taken a political stance that at least symbolically has worked against private investment. That said, a lot of companies are doing really well, right? And at the end of the day, they are profiting. Their revenue numbers are good. So this government hasn't been bad for business, despite the political fight in certain spheres. And I think that some businesses remain slightly nervous about government action and about whether the government will resolve the shortcomings that Leda mentioned and improve electricity transmission or try to create solutions to things like drought, which hit Monterrey last year and left a ton of people without water, or whether it's going to be kind of hands-off and some of those solutions have to come from the private sector. There's a real north-south divide in Mexico. There's no question. You look at southern states like Chiapas and and Guerrero, and these are poverty rates. More than two out of three people are, are in poverty. And AMLO has pushed development in these regions, has tried to incentivize and cajole businesses into putting production there. Is there any sign of that happening? AMLO's government has really sought to invite companies to southern states to tour the industrial parks that his government has been working on there along a sort of narrow strip of Mexico that he hopes will work kind of like the Panama Canal, but on land, right, with a rail crossing and a road crossing. And so the government's idea is that investors will come in and build the infrastructure around that road and rail line, and that this will be part of revitalizing the south of Mexico, which has traditionally been poorer and had less investment and is just farther from the U.S. And so for investors, that means they have to drive more. It means you have trucking costs. It means that those truckers have to pass through a lot of states where the roads might not be great and they might be extorted. And so there are other complications especially for suppliers of other companies that are further north. They want to be close to their clients. That said, the government has argued that if you invest in southern states, that you can then export to the east coast of the U.S. and that this is going to be an interesting trade route or get to the ports of uh, Texas and still supply the south. But we have yet to see massive investments of the kind that we're seeing in the north. 
And I also think that there's some companies that are moving in that want to have a labor force that's already specialized. So certainly there's a vast labor force in the South. A lot of migrants in the north of Mexico and a lot of migrants in the U.S., come from southern Mexico. That said, if you want to have engineers that are specialized in a certain kind of electronics production, if that production hasn't historically been in the South, in these smaller cities, it's going to be harder to find them than if you are in a city like Monterrey. If I could add on that, one point that AMLO raises is that the northern states, they're already having this huge demand and they're already facing problems like with water, like Monterrey faced last year, the drought. And they're saying that's what happens when the investment across Mexico is loopsided, is just so concentrated in one region and not evenly spread out. So he highlights how diversifying a bit, even in the country and move and attracting those investments further south as a way to kind of remove that backlog that we're seeing. But the companies are interested in staying close to the U.S. And one of the biggest selling points that even uh, one of the biggest part developers told us is that they could drive up to the U.S. border in less than three hours without hitting a single red light. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet is security, crime. And these states in the Mexican North generally have homicide rates that are higher than the rest of the country. Did you not hear those concerns from business leaders? I mean, are they on such islands, so to speak, in terms of these industrial parks that they don't worry about that issue that much? Or or is it that it's just kind of treated as another obstacle to be overcome, like a lack of electricity? I think it's part of the cost of business, right? I think that companies sit down and calculate what is their security cost? What is the cost if some of their merchandise is stolen along the way? Can they calculate how much of it they might lose? I think that there's certainly been smaller companies, Mexican companies especially, who have had a hard time expanding their business because of the level of crime. But I think the big, big companies that are moving in from abroad that have already seen cities like Tijuana and Juarez and Monterrey exist for many years with high levels of crime and also high levels of manufacturing and exports, the assumption is that there's a way to operate despite that. Leda, what did people tell you about this issue? Yeah, it's same going to Maya's point. I think I was even going to mention one example of a solution that or even something different that a developer is doing is building pocket parks that are more within the city rather than the surrounding of Monterrey, that that reduces the transportation that is closer to housing. And it's a way to, they say, improve the well-being of the worker itself and across different factors. On the other side, one big concern that companies do have is electricity. They constantly think of power as an issue, sometimes even more than security. But I think it's all these factors put together. It's a whole package evaluating the cost of really what is at stake if they do face those issues. Speaking of areas of uncertainty, there are elections in Mexico next year in June of 2024. Is there anything tied to this election that people doing in this nearshoring sector are concerned about? Or are they perhaps more worried about the U.S. election than the Mexican election, given the possibility of the return of former President Donald Trump and the constant uncertainty that surrounded the U.S.-Mexico trading relationship during those years? You know, AMLO as a president 
as I said, has had his fights with the business community. He's also had parts of the business community he's very close to when he went on his tour of the Southeast train that's being built. He went with Carlos Slim, one of Mexico's richest men. And so in some ways, he's chosen his business icons who are close to him in both the Mexican and international business community. And I think that investors were worried about the AMLO administration because he came in with a very nationalistic message in a lot of ways, and they were unsure how big of a fight that would be. Now that they've seen his government... I don't think that anyone thinks that the candidates who would come in next year would be more radical or pick a bigger fight with investors over issues like energy or investment. And I think we've also seen AMLO try to treat investment as a symbolic issue, but in the end, agree to a lot of things that have been pushed for. He at one point said Tesla shouldn't move to the north. There's not enough water. They should move south and I'm not going to allow them to invest. And in the end, he got on the phone with Elon Musk and they talked about water solutions, not very clearly, but not in any way that makes it totally obvious how they might solve drought across northern states in an era of climate change, but enough that he said, sure, go ahead, invest. So... On the side of Morena, we have Claudia Scheinbaum, Lopez Obrador's protege, and who's expected to continue a lot of his policies from the opposition. The uh, main candidate is Xochitl Galvez, who's a senator who has promoted herself as business friendly and like a self-starter, a businesswoman herself, who it was thought would be quite open to new investment. And so there isn't really cause for investors to think that they're going to have political problems in the future. But let me just before we go push on this question that I asked. It may not be the Mexican election that nearshoring investors are watching closely in 2024. It may be the U.S. election, given that during the Trump presidency, he was constantly talking about closing the border to trade with Mexico as a form of retaliation, ultimately as a form of getting Mexican the Mexican government to do what he wanted. Did anyone who you spoke to while you were in Mexico raise the return of Donald Trump as a possible source of instability for their investment? I don't think anyone we talked to a few months ago was specifically looking at the U.S. election as a factor in whether or not to invest, though certainly as Leda said, the sort of uncertainty around elections is a factor in deciding when to invest. And I think that, as we said, we talked to companies that ultimately decided not to invest in Mexico and decided to invest in the U.S. or to do a bigger investment in the U.S., seeing it as a safer bet long term if they're going to make a 10-year investment. Well, and perhaps uh, along those lines, since USMCA, the deal that replaced NAFTA, is his meaning is Trump's. He may be more tempted if he comes back for a second term to kind of leave that one alone and take his trade battles elsewhere. So on that note, Maya, Leda, thank you so much for joining us on the AQ podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.